following message is from Narrative Church, a Lutheran church located in Williamson County, Texas. For more information, go to www.narrative.church. So we are doing the book of Mark this year, and we've worked our way through Gospels in the past, Um, But we're coming back to Mark as a real opportunity to just slow down as we start a new year and say, what is the story of Jesus? And what's great about the book of Mark is it's not quite the spark notes gospel, but it is Mark's going to dive in and he's going to say, here it is. Let's move on. Becky Krentz and I were talking this morning during setup and she said, yeah, when I was teaching Um, eighth grade confirmation the eighth grade boys loved the book of mark because it just kept going it didn't stop and slow down and it's so great i love looking at the four different gospels because each writer gives you a different look um the book of matthew uh, is very open very expansive and and very much written to a, a jewish audience that matthew is writing to people he knows he's connected with and so he writes with some real cool intricacies of that audience Um, when you look at the book of Luke, he's a physician, and you get some of those keen insights that he kind of pulls things apart a little bit more in some different areas. That's like, um, you know, last week we always read on Christmas Luke 2. That's the Christmas story. Luke actually, as a physician, tells this great story, and he gives you the details. And Mark is like, Jesus was born. Let's get going. And then you get John who's much more poetic and relational, and he's really there looking and saying, listen, let's look at the implications of what Jesus' life means. That, you know, he starts off, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and he was with God in the beginning. And it's this beautiful picture. And Mark is still like, yeah, he was born. Let's get this train moving. And so as we look at the book of Mark over the next 16 weeks, we're going to be able to take a chance to look quickly over the life of Jesus. Because we'll start here at the beginning of his baptism, at the beginning of his ministry. Mark kind of skips the early life and goes straight to Jesus' beginning ministry. And we're going to take the next couple of months and we're going to be able to walk it out all the way to Easter. Like I said earlier, we'll um, right around Palm Sunday, we're, we'll jump around a little bit so that we get I think Palm Sunday um, is chapter 11, and to hit it just right, I think we'll do chapter 12 the week before. Real deep intricacies I know you were all worried about, so I wanted to make sure you knew about them. But one thing I love about Mark is as you look at the book, and I encourage you, um, if you don't have um, a study Bible and you're looking to say, hey, I want a, a Bible that that gives me a little bit more information. I can give you some um, ideas on that. I can even give you some ideas of like where you can look, just some free places online that give you a little bit just introduction. When I dive into a full book, there are a couple places I go. Um, This week I'm going to watch through the Bible Project video. I thought about using it this morning, um, and I reflected back to a time. My dad's a pastor, and I shared um, Bible Project with him which if you've been with us for a little while, you're like, we're starting a book of the Bible. I bet Pastor Ted's going to show a Bible project video. But I keep you on your toes. 
mainly because it was a 10-minute video, and I said, I'm going to try and keep a shorter sermon today. So if we do 10 minutes of video, that's really going to back up the time, and I want to talk on this topic. But we'll put that video out this week in our emails and on social media so you can have a chance to look and say, how does this book all flow and fit together? So I go to Bible Project. Blue Letter Bible is another place you can find some more in-depth stuff. And if you're just curious, you know, stop me, talk to me, shoot me an email. Like, there's a reason I went to seminary, because I'm a little bit of a theology nerd, so I can point you in the right direction. But there's some real cool aspects going on here. And one thing I love is you look at the entire book and the whole story that Mark's telling, is you see throughout it this idea of the servant king. That Jesus comes, and everywhere he goes, he has power. We even see it this morning in the opening story that as um, you know, John begins, so John the Baptist is out as the one that Isaiah prophesied, declaring a path in the desert, um, prepare the way of the Lord. Isaiah will even go on to use this great word picture where he says um, the high places will be brought low and the valleys will be brought high, basically saying it will all be on a plane that he's going to declare the way of the Lord in such a way that any impediment to seeing it will disappear. And so John the Baptist is there declaring this way, and Jesus shows up, and we don't get as much of it again, because Mark's like, let's see what happens. But in some of the other Gospels, we get this interaction where John looks and says, listen, I, I'm not even worthy to like tie your shoes, let alone baptize you. So Jesus shows up, and the one declaring the way, the herald of all of this, the messenger, looks at him and says, listen, you're too powerful. You've got the authority. I'm, I'm your servant. And immediately the first thing Jesus does is says, no, no, like, we serve each other. You serve me, I serve you. And so he takes that power and that authority and flips it on its head. And it shows us that when Jesus comes, he comes not to rule and reign in a way that we think of, which would be we command people and tell them what to do, but instead he comes as a servant to be a king who has all the power, who has all the authority, and we will see that play out in the way he interacts um, with demons, in the way he interacts with the sick, in the way he interacts with those who have worldly authority. But we'll see the amount of people he is healing, the amount of people he is giving his time to as he serves them. So we start this morning at this beginning, Mark 1, 1 through 15. And there are three things that I think are very important for us to see as we look at the start of this book. We see a messenger, we see the Messiah, and we see the message. That here you have John, the one who has come to declare a way in the desert. So here he has come, and John is a weirdo. John is a very strange man. He lives out in the middle of nowhere. He's part of this group of people that are declaring the way of the Lord. He's the loudest voice. People have begun to follow him. He's been around enough. He is gathering a following. And in another gospel, we'll say he wears animal hides and eats locusts and honey. And like, I'm like, and people are following this guy. Like the first locust you dip in honey, I'm like, it was nice knowing you, John. You may say some very nice things, but I'm out. That's one step too far, my friend. 
But here he was gathering this following and declaring, talking about this idea of baptism, which at this point is a ritual washing, a symbol of showing, listen, your sins are forgiven and you are cleansed. And so he is washing people and declaring that there is one who is coming. That in this baptism, I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with fire. Which I love that we as Christians get the context, right? We get to look and say, oh, we know he's talking about Jesus and the Holy Spirit, fire, you know, all this stuff. But again, like John goes from locusts and honey to like, he's going to baptize you with fire. And I'm like, no thanks. Water, that's fine. Baptize me with fire, don't want that. What he's trying to explain is to say, listen, you can wash yourself externally, but what he's going to do is he's going to burn it all out. He's going to come in, he's going to look at your life, and he's going to say, listen, if you belong to me, then I'm going to change you. And the first change I'm going to make is I'm going to baptize you with this holy fire that takes away the impurities. How do you make metal stronger? You have to put it in fire. So he's going to baptize with this fire that pulls away those impurities, those things that separate us from God and brings us back to him. So he is in the desert declaring the king is coming. There is one and he is coming soon. And so then Jesus comes. He enters the scene and here he is, the one who has been declared that he is coming. And once again, Mark skips a bunch and he goes, let's start here at the ministry of Jesus because really... This is where, you know, we can separate Jesus' early life and what we would call his ministry. His ministry being the three years leading up to his death and resurrection. As he goes out into the countryside, out into the local towns and villages and cities, declaring the ways of the Lord. And in Jesus' time, this would be an interesting thing for him to do at this point. Jewish young men in this society would grow up to a certain point in, I mean, basically a, uh, we call it a rabbinic school. So the rabbis would teach them. They would memorize scripture. They would um, learn theology. They would go around and argue and teach and talk about these things. And the ones who were the cream of the crop, the best of the best, would then become disciples of this rabbi as they grew older, and they would actually leave their family trades to go follow these rabbis. Oftentimes the term used would be, you follow in the dust of your rabbi, in that as he is walking, and think about, you know, Texas Hill Country is a little bit comparable to what Israel might feel like if you're walking a trail in the Texas Hill Country, that dust is coming up. And so when you walk in the dust of your rabbi, it means you are following closely with him. And so these young men would grow up and they would be chosen by the rabbi and those who weren't would return then to the family business. And so it's fascinating that as Jesus then grows older and he is a carpenter, so he has taken on the family business, which means he wasn't chosen by a rabbi which is, you know, foolish on those rabbis, right? Here's the Lord. Good luck finding a better student. But he ends up walking out 
And instead of following that way, he just walks out and is baptized by John, who is a part of this group of people that was a little bit, again, weird, set aside. But he goes to him and says, you're the one declaring the way. So baptize me. And when he does, it says the heavens open up and God declares, this is my beloved son, whom I love. And again, this seems like a moment to me where I would be like, how does anyone not believe in Jesus? How do people fight him and argue with him when he has water poured over him and the heavens open up and a dove comes down and from heaven, this group of people here, this is my beloved son. And I guarantee you what's happening in Jerusalem is, oh, you hear about those crazy people out in the desert. They're saying God's talking to them. Great job. But God claims Jesus because this is him. This is the Messiah. So we have the messenger, John the Baptist, who follows that prophecy of being the one who declares the way of the Lord. And here the Lord shows up. And I love that in this baptism, not only do we see that Jesus says, I, I need this. But I love that we as his followers say, I, I just do what my Savior did. So if he was baptized, I need to be baptized. So Jesus not only has this moment of heaven declaring who he is, but he gives us this incredible example of what baptism means. That God calls down from heaven and says, this is my beloved son. And in the same vein, when we pull out our little baptismal font that we got from some church in the area that closed down that someone saved and refinished and said, would you want it? And we said, yep. And it lives as an art piece in my front room most of the time. But then when we get to pull it out, here are these little pieces of wood and this bowl filled with water from Round Rock ISD. The kingdom of heaven breaks through. In that moment, the king says, this is my son, this is my daughter who I love. That through Jesus and what he has done, through this Messiah who has come for us, we know that that declaration upon him, while we are not him, we know that we are covered by his blood. And so that declaration of God on him becomes the declaration of God on us. And I find it interesting that as soon as it is declared who he is, The Spirit leads him into the wilderness. So here you have this interaction of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit here in just a few verses. But the Spirit leads him into the wilderness to be tempted for 40 days. Listen, when I am tempted for 10 minutes, I'm like, Lord, what have you brought upon me? What terrible life is this? And here's Jesus, 40 days. In the wilderness. And you know what the temptations are? The temptations are you have the power, you have the authority. Forget the plan. Forget why you're here. You, these people are not worth saving. Rule over them instead. Look at all the amazing things you can do. Forget about those people. Do and be who you can be. But the servant king spends 40 days saying, no, I am here not to 
be served, but to serve. That I have come for a purpose, and that purpose is to bring salvation to my people, that immediately Jesus is tested. And he says, no, this hasn't changed. I am here for this reason. And he comes out of the wilderness proclaiming a message. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. So the gospel being a Greek word for the good news. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. So what does that mean? If God is proclaiming this, if Jesus has come, that the messenger of John has brought the promise of Jesus. Jesus shows up as the Messiah. And the first thing he does when he comes out of the wilderness and really starts into his ministry as he declares the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. So the kingdom of God is at hand. He's declaring that rule and that reign of God is coming near. And what is the rule and reign of God? It's very simple. We'll break it down in other gospels. He says there are two commandments. There are two laws. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You want to know the perfection of the kingdom of God is that we live those things nonstop. That in the perfection of the kingdom of God, we are so connected to him that it is all about loving him and loving others. So the kingdom of God, but the problem is, is at hand. The theological term we use for this is the right now, but the not yet. That it is right here, but it has not fully come to fruition. And I love this moment where he says this, because I've always thought of it in that right now, not yet idea of saying, you know, it is this time that now we are living in, but also it's going to be fully realized when Jesus returns. But as he is declaring this, he's saying, no, it's here. Where does the rule and reign of the kingdom go? Well, it goes wherever the king is. And so when he says the kingdom of God is at hand, he's saying, listen, you can reach out and touch it. Later on in the book of Mark, we'll actually come across a woman who is in need of healing. And she believes so deeply that Jesus is the Christ. She believes an ancient prophecy about him that says there is healing in in his wings, which is a piece of his prayer shawl. And she trusts so deeply that he is the king and he is here. She just gets close enough to reach out and touch him. That her faith is so deep that the kingdom is at hand, that the king is here and he can be touched. When he says the kingdom of God is at hand, he's saying, listen, I have physically come for you. We see that right now as we come and take this meal together here in a minute, that the kingdom of God is at hand. But the gift of communion for us is that we can taste and touch and see that the Lord is good. That this forgiveness gives us his grace that in this meal we get a little bit of that fully in him. Repent and believe. Love this. Repent and believe. Repent is a promise from the Lord. You're going to mess up. 
Love God, love others. I broke that this morning. Like, not like not I didn't even have to wait until after church, right? Repent is this idea that we not only that have we messed up, but in this earthly life, we will struggle with it. Um, another theological idea used for this is simultaneously saint and sinner, that when we are bought at a price, that when Jesus comes for us, when we are baptized, we are made saints. But this side of Jesus' second coming, we are saints who struggle with sin. That there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God that's found in Jesus, but we know that we're still not going to get it right. And so repentance is saying, Lord, I messed it up. You called me to be like this, to act like this, to do like this, and I didn't. And then belief is saying, but you gave me these promises, and you said that in you I will find grace and peace and joy. So we trust those promises. We repent, which has a connotation of physically turning. It's as if you're walking in one direction that is leading towards sin and selfishness. And repenting is saying, Lord, I don't want to go that way. And we turn around. And then it's not as if we have to do something to gain it, but instead that belief, that trust is that Jesus says it's done. It's as if we're walking further and further from him. And then when the Spirit works and we realize and we repent, it's not as if we turn around and now we have to work our way all the way back to him. He was right there the whole time. And he has never left us. So the kingdom of God is at hand. That rule, that reign of the king, that authority, that power, that servanthood is right there. And listen, as you live in that kingdom of God being at hand, you're going to mess it up, but... Turn around. Believe the promises of God, which is the good news. The good news that Jesus comes to declare over and over and over again. It's simply this. Jesus is here, and you're a part of the kingdom. What we'll see throughout the book of Mark is invitations for people to join the kingdom. It's him going to people and handing them the kingdom through healing, through story, through guidance, and eventually through his death and resurrection. The good news that we come together when it feels like one degree outside, that we show up to a middle school cafeteria. There's nothing overly holy about this place except that God says, I will meet you wherever you gather. But the reason we come together is because we need to hear over and over and over again. You are part of the kingdom. Jesus has come for you. And what we will learn is that in his bringing us into the kingdom, he calls us than to reflect in the same way that John did. You see, in the story, we see the messenger declare the Messiah who gives us the message. But then when that hits our lives, that message 
transforms us and we learn what the Messiah means to us and then we become the messengers who go out declaring the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that as we spend time over the coming weeks in the book of Mark, that you would let us learn over and over and over again that as your people who have access to the king, that the king has come for us. His son has come. Lord, let us remember that we are a people you have declared over us through our baptisms that we are beloved sons and daughters. Lord, if the enemy and if the world tries to tell us that that's not true, let us rest with the knowledge that Jesus makes that proclamation on us. Lord, let us take that message that we are in the kingdom. Let it change our hearts and our minds. Lord, let us live deeply in the story of the Messiah and who Jesus is and what he has done for us. And finally, let us be messengers. Let us love you and love others by taking out the good news that Jesus is for us, that the kingdom of God is at hand. In your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen.